0: Welcome to Continuous Dream. Today, Part 2, Chapter 1 of Kells, The Gospel of Columba, a novel by Amy Kreider. Part 2, read by Lindsay Summers. Part 2. Una. Chapter 1. Alton's Return. It's good to meet you, and tell you, after all this time in this strange land. Yes, I'm Una. Where should I begin? It was Easter, that dark Easter morning. I could see my breath, and the cold of the hard frost under my feet flowed up my body to my chest. I felt my heart struggle against the cold pushing against the chill, reaching through my clothes. I unclenched my fists. The blood eased into my fingertips. I watched Darmot start the fire. It had to be a new fire, lit from scratch. He placed the small patch of char cloth on a nest of brush on the kindling. The crowd was silent. The only sound was of the flint hitting the file. I chanted the Lord's prayer in my head to measure the time. It usually took about three times for the flames to rise but the cloth didn't light. The crowd started shifting on their feet. I looked to the east, anxious the sun would rise before the fire was lit. Dermot was breathing hard now and striking faster and the pitch of the sound it made rose like an alarmed bird call. I glanced from Soid to Soid, and saw others glancing at me. I looked down and closed my eyes. Then a gasp from all startled my eyes open. Dermot's hand flew to his face. A fragment of the flint had hit him in the eye. In the moment that his hand went to his eye, a spark landed on his sleeve. It would make a hole. Dermot faced the crowd and spread his arms out in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, he started. And we joined in quietly, uncertain, except for old Fiachrak, whose voice rose above the others with a loud, chiding edge. I shivered. After the prayer he tried again. Now his striking wasn't so fast, but smooth and measured. I felt calmed by his confident air. This was the thirteenth Easter that I watched him end Lent with that spark. And when it flickered and I heard the approval from the congregation, joy lit from within me. He picked up the little glowing nest of brush and waved it in the air and placed the fireball on the kindling. The fire was blessed. Saint Patrick defied the Druids and their pagan king by light in the first Easter fire in Scotia. We call upon God to bless our fire at this dawn, in memory of our saints. It was still dark, as if the sun had been paused in its rising, and the fire shone as a mighty beacon. The nephews hoisted up the straw man over their heads and threw it onto the Holocaust that the straw man ever meant something druidic was ignored. The straw man was winter, was Judas, was an old life before the resurrection. Twas anything to destroy and turn away from, and its blaze sent sparks dancing into the dawn. The crowd exhaled and watched the fire with new eyes grown limpid with gratitude and relief below the creased brows of a papal grown weary with winter. Alan, the deacon, slid the book out of its leather bag and handed it to Dermot, who opened it and read aloud Latin that no one understood. Magic sounds. Dermot held it up to show us the words. The script danced in the uncertain light, like the ripples of waves. Then he explained what he knew, telling us of the tomb and the apostles who feared and were rewarded, and the resurrection of the Saviour. I prayed with the others before the tall wooden cross. Sacredly, I prayed we would build a church. A place painted all colours, lit by candles and oil lamps. A jewel house for our souls. I thought of it especially now that it was Easter, and there was no special altar for receiving the host. Dermot blessed the bread. Alan held it up to him on a dish, and he carved it in half, half again, in careful cuts while he prayed, until he had twenty-four little pieces. Dermot went from one to the other in turns with the bread. I closed my eyes as he placed it on my tongue. Twice a year we received communion. It was a rare, glorious moment. My shoulders relaxed as the bread dissolved and communion spread down my throat like a warm balm. I felt eased in the knowledge that there was a perfect truth and a perfect path to walk, and that life was possible only if one kept looking for that perfect path to God. Just as Dermot chanted the last prayer, a fine rain began to fall. I spread my cloak around Deirdre, who put her arm around my waist. A lock of bright red hair slipped out from under her hood, and I tucked it back in. Deirdre was willow slim, "'and her skin glowed like soft moonlight. "'Only her grey eyes, milky with her blindness, marred her face. "'We walked in one cloak down the hill. "'Dermot led the way, carrying the book. "'I thought perhaps he should hold on to it in his sleeve to keep it dry, "'but then that would doubt the Lord's protection, "'and I understood Dermot was right to proceed as if the sky were clear. "'Everyone had spent the cold night without a fire.' We lit the peat again from a torch from the bonfire and the air that had been so cold and fresh was now singed with that sharp, sweet smell. Dermot and Alan went from house to house blessing their hearse while Deirdre and I went inside. I poured water and a measure of barley into the pot over the fire in the middle of the room. A few drops of rain from the opening in the thatch dripped into the pot. Alster, Deirdre said, you rest a bit. "'I'm not tired, but I'll let you.' "'I handed her the spoon, and we sat on the bench by the fire. "'What distressed the crowd?' Deirdre asked. "'It was nothing, only a spark. "'The spoon scraped the pot for a while. "'I thought about taking up my dropped spindle, but didn't move. "'It was true I was tired.' "'I know how you hate when things go wrong,' Deirdre said. "'Dermot came in the door. "'Blessings on ya, Dermot said.' and he kissed us both on the cheek. It was a long wait until Easter this year. The winter had seemed longer and darker than usual. I drew the bench up to the fire and filled a bowl with mash for him. Warm yourself. No baptisms. How many years has it been since we've had an Easter with a babe to christen? Dermot said. I filled another bowl for Deirdre. I didn't answer. I was angry that he would ask that. The joy of the communion drained away. It had been four years since we'd christened a son who died a week later. I thought this Easter would be better, but the pain was fresh with Dermot's thoughtless question. Had he forgotten? The mash was hard to swallow and I got up to have a cup of water. I stayed at the other end of the room in the dark shadows. Dermot rose and set down his bowl. Forgive me. I turned around and held him, ashamed of my anger. "'warm in his arms. "'I ran my hands down his arms "'and held up one to the light. "'There's a hole in your sleeve. "'From the spark,' he said. "'I didn't notice. I'm sorry. "'It was his new Aster tunic. "'It couldn't be helped,' I replied. "'Now I almost felt cursed. "'Aster was the great day, "'the biggest and best day of the year, "'and it had to be perfect. "'Everything was conspiring to ruin it,' "'Deirdre said. "'Don't be anxious.' "'We can worry about it tomorrow,' I put my arm around her. "'How big and wise you're growing!' "'Every year you seem more worried,' Deirdre whispered, her head on my shoulder. By late afternoon the air warmed and the sun, though pale, shone on the day like a weak smile. The communal table outdoors was spread with lamb, bread, butter, geese and oat cakes, for the families hungry from a long winter's fast.' The lamb was juicy and redolent of the garlic that had sprung up through snow, the first flavour of spring. The oatcakes and bread soaked up the juices and the thick bear was strained into our shared mugs. Everyone was playing a game of knuckle bones when one of the children called out, There's a stranger coming down the hill! We all turned. The stranger was just passing by the cross, where he stopped and crossed himself. Then he waved his staff at the crowd, which had grown quiet and still even the dogs. He was slightly bent and used his staff to make his way down the steep, rocky path. When he got down to the footbridge, he straightened up and quickened his pace. Now we could see he was old but not unfit, agile but careful. He was a tall, bony man with a grey head, his beard clipped close to his face. Dermot rose and greeted him as he stepped off the footbridge. "'A blessed Easter to you!' Blessings on you. I am Alton, coming from Meath. I came here once before, in the autumn. You were here? For but an hour, and then I went on my way. I met Una and her poor daughter, and the man who would be a monk. Dermot turned to me, and I put my arm through his. He came when you were drove in the calves. It was he who said Deirdre has cataracts. Where is the poor girl? Alton asked. Is she well? I sought Deirdre in the twilight. The children had gathered close to see the stranger, but Deirdre wasn't among them. For a moment, I hoped she had hidden herself. But Deirdre approached with a mug of ale. Here, you must be thirsty, Deirdre said, holding out the mug. I thank you. Alton took a long drink. Have you news from your travels? Dermot asked. come. Have something to eat. We all sat around the table. Alton prayed before he ate. He seemed hesitant to speak. There is some news I've heard, though it isn't happy, I'm afraid. I met a monk from Iona. I crossed myself. The brother told me that the scribe at Iona had died recently. There was a great funeral. I held my voice steady. The new scribe, Brother Kanakshak, or the old scribe. Alton scratched his beard. I didn't realize there were two master scribes. I don't know. My brother isn't very old. Alton drew in his breath, as if unwilling to say it. Your brother was ill when I met him. Perhaps he spared you the truth. Dermot took my hand. I'm sure it was the old scribe, he said. I squeezed his hand, my own turning cold. "'Where are you going now?' Deirdre asked. He helped himself to another slice of bread. "'At Armagh I heard that the bishop in Spain has discovered St. James's bones. "'It is a fantastic find. I want to go and be blessed by them.' I poured him another cup of ale, calculating in my mind how much was being eaten and drunk. "'So far?' if I have luck and the blessing of our Saviour. Stay with us at least a night, Dermot said. For a while, Dermot and the old man traded insights about the Apostles and the holy places. Dermot's Book of Psalms was the first book Alton had seen in years, and he lovingly read aloud from it with a tallow candle close by. We didn't know Latin, but the sound was as soothing as rocking waves. It's a fine hand— "'Alton said when he was finished. "'Do you know any more news of Iona?' I asked. "'I took the book from him and held it to my chest. "'He considered. "'Just that miracles are being reported "'upon the death of the scribe. "'There's a well where the blind are given back their sight. "'We sat in silence for a few moments. "'Speaking of the well, I should draw water,' Deirdre said. It's no bother for me to go in the morning, I said. She pulled her cloak around her shoulders. I'll go. Deirdre took the pails and left. When she was gone, Alton leaned forward, confidentially. This well at Iona is supposed to be a great cure. Dermot stood and put the book back in its leather bag. She doesn't seem to mind being blind, he said. But who will marry her? Alton asked. Few men would take a blind wife. It's considered bad luck in many parts to even cross paths with a blind person. I looked at Dermot, who looked away. It was something to consider. We would die and there would be no one left to take care of her. I could take her there before I go to Spain, Olton said. I could also be reassured that it's not your brother who passed on. His smooth voice was reassuring. There was a Confident, familiar twinkle in his eye When he caught my gaze Deirdre returned with the water And soon we were all took to our pallets to sleep I nudged Dermot I'm awake What do you think? He propped himself on his elbow I think I won't send my daughter off with some strange man He seems saintly enough Aye, too much so There was an edge in his voice, and I felt anxious not to cross him. But something pushed me forward. I understand your views, but this might well be a miracle, and he's right that no one will marry her. I wouldn't send her with him alone. We would both go. Dermot laid his head back on the pillow and slid his arm round me. I think you have the wanderlust. It sounds like a grand thing to see holy places. But it's Deirdre I'm thinking of. Reassured by his affection, I put my head on his chest and I felt his deep sigh. There's work to be done. There's sowing and calving. We're needed here. We can go after that in midsummer during the wait for the corn. And the farm would have to sponsor this journey. It is up to them as much as me. Not to mention the king. Would their support encourage you to go? If I said no, would you go without me? His voice was tired. I slid my hand across his chest and up to his neck. No, I wouldn't leave you. I waited, hoping he would come round. He didn't speak. It would be nice to see my brother, I added. He grasped my hand and held it tightly in his fist. I knew he was growing frustrated. To be a monk is supposed to be cut away from family. It is not so easy to go that long way. It is a mad idea. I didn't say anything, afraid to anger him. I lay stiffly against him, squeezing back tears because I hated to argue. His hand loosened its grip round mine and he rolled over to face me in the dark. His lips found mine. I let a few tears fall in relief. Let me think about it, he said. I kissed him and held him close, as if we might be parting. The feast continued the next day. It would go on until the lamb bones were picked clean and the ale keg emptied. The sun was warmer and the damp almost felt like the humidity of summer. We could almost smell hay and clover. As Maeve and I laid out the table, I looked about, suddenly missing my daughter. I went to the stream where Deirdre was washing the linens. "'Dearest, there's no need,' I said. "'I wanted to have it done before you send me to Iona,' Deirdre said. "'Did you think I would send you away?' Deirdre wrung out the cloth. "'The man's words are a temptation, a holy well of miracles.' Do you doubt the Lord? Not the Lord, I doubt. God took my sight from me. He can restore it with a snap of his fingers. I don't want to leave you. I helped her spread out the linen over the rocks. I would never send you away without me. I took Deirdre's cold red hands and rubbed them. I only thought we could go together, and I could see my brother, but not if the plan displeases you. Deirdre squeezed my hand. I think you would regret not trying, and I would live to regret that. Not if it displeases you. I am content. But we knew it was not our decision, or even Dermot's, but the clan's decision whether we could go. Our work would be missed. At the feast I looked at Dermot, pleading with my face. He sighed with exasperation, stood up and said, Perhaps Alton can tell us more about this holy well. Alton's words were smooth and honeyed. He spoke of a bent man made straight and of a lunatic made sane. In the name of the Lord, a blind woman was given sight. He did not seem to exaggerate, but spoke with both humility and assurance. And I would be happy to take Deirdre there to be blessed. Kevin and Enan asked to go and were hushed. Deirdre, meanwhile, kept her sightless eyes down. I grasped her hand under the table. What do you say? Old Fyachrock asked Dermot. Dermot looked hard at me. It isn't my decision alone. I know we all have to agree. I felt myself blush, ashamed for being insistent, for force in him. I almost wished he did say no, but something was pulling me along, and I felt as if it weren't my choice. After the dinner, the men went up to the cross, which served as a meeting place. They spent the evening in debate. Down the hill, the older boys discussed which of them should also go. I sat outside the house in the last light of the afternoon and mended the tunic where the spark had made a hole. I wanted to leave nothing undone. Nearby, Alton told more miracle stories to the girls and younger boys. A squirrel's loud chatter came from the large oak tree by the wall. Deirdre came out of the house and listened. I've never heard Augustine carry on so, she said. She walked up to the tree and raised her hand, holding out a crust. The squirrel, at which Augustine sounded his alarm, moved a little closer, then a little farther from Augustine's nest. The fluffy tail shook as Augustine's squeaky chatter rose in pitch. The strange squirrel leaped into Augustine. When the two squirrels fell at Deirdre's feet, they jumped onto her, climbing up her dress as if she were a tree. She held her arms outstretched with a chattering squirrel in each hand. Deirdre carefully turned round, smiling like a saint blessing the animals. The last gleam of the afternoon sun lighted her red hair. I cast aside my mending and started to go to her. Dearest, you shouldn't. Deirdre suddenly grimaced as the strange squirrel sunk its teeth into the base of her thumb. She jerked her arms to shake them off, and they chased each other over the wall, Deirdre held her wounded hand and turned away, hunched over and holding back tears. "'Foolish animals,' I said. I put my arm round Deirdre and led her back to the house. Alton had seen this happen and broke off his story to follow us inside. I washed Deirdre's wound. "'I have an ointment that I think will help,' Alton said. He took a small round wooden box from the pouch on his belt If I may? Deirdre held out her hand, tears slipping down her face. When he smoothed the ointment over the wound, Deirdre murmured, It is cold tingling, I feel. She stumbled forward onto Alton, who gently lifted her and lay her down on the straw. She's very sensitive to the medicine, he said. She'll sleep a little while, perhaps through the night. Keep her covered and warm. Thank you. I said as we spread a blanket over the girl. Deirdre's lips moved and she whispered something I couldn't make out, pushing the blanket off. I pulled it over her again and smoothed it across her shoulders. Alton put away the little box. She trusts too much, he said. Animals can't always be pets. I took a stool by the fire and sat where I could watch Deirdre. It was growing dark. Will you read to me again? I asked. Dermot won't mind. I took the book out of the bag. Certainly. He read to me the Latin that I didn't understand, but soothed my mind. My head leaned forward, and I dozed. The few words I knew—Christi, Sanctum, Deus, stood out in the reading and echoed. I didn't remember going to bed later, didn't remember Dermot coming back or Alton finishing the reading— when I awoke, I sat up with a start and saw I was alone. I had overslept, and everyone had gotten up without disturbing me, as if I were the one under the spell of the herbal balm. The room was cool. No one had banked the fire the night before, so that it was almost burned out. On my hands and knees I blew on the coals and added peat, banking it down again until it glowed warmly, saying the prayer of St. Bridget. The smoke smelled good and familiar in the house that seemed strange and empty. I took a swallow of water from the pail. Then, with a pang of fear, I felt the book bag to assure myself it was still in its place, and sighed in relief. I went outside. The mending from the day before was still where I had left it beside the door. THE WOMEN WERE ALREADY SETTING UP THE FEAST FOR THE LAST DAY, AND THE CHILDREN WERE RUNNING AROUND IN CIRCLES, PLAYING A GAME. Darmot CAME TOWARD ME FROM THE SHED. THERE YOU ARE, HE SAID. YOU WERE DEAD TO THE WORLD. HE KISSED MY CHEEK. WHERE ARE Deirdre AND OLTON? I ASKED. HE TURNED HIS HEAD. I SEE em HE POINTED UP THE HILL. THEY WERE ON THE OTHER SIDE OF THE CROSS. Deirdre leaning her back against it so that only her shoulders and arms were visible. Alton faced her, listening intently. I felt weak in the stomach. You look pale, Dermot said. You should eat something. It looks ready. Let's strike the bell and get started. He went over to the bell, a flat triangle of solid iron hanging from a tree, and struck it with a rod that leaned against the trunk. The children immediately stopped their game and ran to the table. Alton looked down the hill at the clan and gestured to Deirdre. She stepped out from behind the cross and they walked slowly down the hill with Alton's hand on the girl's elbow. Their bobbing pace was languid and it felt as I watched them that Deirdre was floating down the hill as if in a bubble that was tethered to the old man. I met them at the footbridge. Deirdre, what are you doing? I asked. Deirdre smiled. I had such a strange dream last night and Alton was interpreting it for me. I looked from one to the other. The old man continued to beam confidently. The saints are truly watching over this girl, he said. So am I, I said. I took Deirdre's hand and led her to the table. Deirdre told her dream to everyone over dinner. Her face shone as she spoke and her voice usually low and serious, rose excitedly. I do dream at night, but I don't see pictures usually, though there are images I remember. I hear words and songs. My mother was singing. Then it grew faint because a storm began to blow. Trees were whipped wildly. I could hear the breaking branches. There was a terrible storm. Trees fell all around me and the wind tore at me but I was rooted to the spot. Then a a white deer ran, jumping over the fallen trees, chased by a pack of snarling hounds. When the deer came to me, I took it by the horns, and the dogs fell back and ran away. I followed the deer far to the edge of the sea, and it stepped into the water and disappeared. I tried to follow, but the waves pushed me back. Over and over I hurled myself into the waves, but the sea wouldn't take me. I could see an island, and I knew it was Scotia. I could see our wee croft, but I couldn't get to it. Then a cloud came over the island, and I could see it no more. But around me things grew very bright. The sea pulled away and was gone. Everything was very dry and hot. I could hear my mother singing again, but I couldn't see her. I had a sense of great peace that the storm was over now, and I had come far through it. I could only see a sparkling white, not like snow or, or frost, but hot and burning. Then I awoke. Alton knows what it means. Alton finished gnawing his last bone, then spoke. The white deer was actually to herself, chased by demons and those who wish her ill. That she is a white deer is emblematic of her saintliness. She overcomes her enemies. She comes to the sea which we will cross soon and lose the sight of her home. But she does see, and I'm sure her sight will be restored. The sea will not take her, as the storm did not take her. It's a sign of protection. The white-hot place is the desert of Moses, where one finds salvation. She is at peace because she is redeemed. She hears her mother's voice signifying she will return home, a new person. "'a woman, and not a girl by then. "'I do think this means,' he turned to the men, "'that she must be allowed to go and seek her redemption. "'I felt a fear rise in me as I looked to the men for their answer. "'I was afraid of either answer. "'I I felt sure this trip must be accomplished. "'Yet perhaps this dream was a bad omen. "'Kanokhtak had once said that wise men believed there was no meaning to dreams.' But it was so wondrously vivid, and Deirdre's feelings about it so strong. Lamar answered, You can't leave now with the lamin and Cavin, or durin' the sowin', and for certain spring weather is not the best time to take a journey. We will decide if you may leave after sowin'. A few less mouths to feed between sowin' and harvest might be a benefit to us all, but we will know better then. Alton spoke up. But surely such a prophetic dream would add some urgency to the journey. Dermot frowned and opened his mouth to speak. But Fiachra cut in. A dream exists in its own time. It may mean something far in the future or long in the past. We must decide what makes sense for the clan. He spoke with finality. Deirdre, still glowing, turned to Alton. We can't keep you here for two or three months. You must go to Spain and return to us, perhaps to lead our way. We will be waiting for you. Alton smiled and his confident air returned. I would be honoured. I had no plans made for after my pilgrimage. I will leave tomorrow then and return after the spring sowing. Bless you, dear girl. He took Deirdre's hand and kissed it. I was still holding her other hand and I felt a tremor through it but did not know if it was a trembling of pleasure or a shiver of fear to be continued if you enjoy continuous stream please give us a 5 star rating on apple podcasts or your favorite podcast player for other ways to support the show please see the show notes or visit www.continuousstream.com. Thanks for listening.